This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Sophie Green, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you very much, Cheryl. I can't remember. Have we had a podcast conversation before? I know you've been in the office. No podcast conversation, no. No, but we've had you for book club, haven't we? Yes, yes. Yes. There we go. Well, this is uh, the first and I'm really looking forward to the chat because when I was doing the research around you, I realised there was so much I didn't know. (laughs) Now, Sophie is a Sydney-based author whose previous novels, the inaugural meeting of the Fairvale Ladies Book Club and the Shelley Bay Ladies Swimming Circle became beloved bestsellers. And they really have. I mean, our readers particularly have really taken to them. And I think that's about demographic as well, but we'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. Her latest book, Thursdays at Orange Blossom House, is the story of a group of women who connect over yoga and life at Orange Blossom House, set in the rainforest of far north Queensland. They're just, they're beautiful books, I think, because they're so feel good, aren't they? They're people we know. They're people we are. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, they, I mean, none of the characters is based on anyone I know. Um, the closest that anyone's come to being based on anyone I know is actually um, the yoga teacher in our Thursdays at Orange Blossom House, Sandrine, who is not me, as in her personality is not me, but things she says in class are things I've said while teaching yoga because I thought if I can't borrow from myself, then um, I can't borrow from anyone. So I do try to write characters who are realistic and who, who have experiences that readers can relate to. I think so much of what we look for in books is uh, to be reassured about our own lives as well as looking for some escapism. Um, mm-hmm. But I always want the books to be entertaining as well as meaningful and I think that if I can achieve that, then I haven't wasted the reader's time. And I've hopefully given them an experience, not unlike what I try to achieve when I'm actually teaching a yoga class, which is that I think that everyone comes to a yoga class wanting a bit of an experience. If they just wanted to exercise, they'd go to the gym, but they want to leave the class transformed in some way, feeling better than when they walked in. I always hope that that when someone reads one of my books, they leave slightly transformed in a positive way and feel better than when they started. I think too what makes them popular, makes them loved by our readers is that there's stories about women like us, you know, women growing older. And, you know, a lot of those women often say to me that they feel invisible Mm -hmm. and they certainly don't in these stories. And the value that you give on those characters and relationships I think is really important. Well, I have... Uh, parents who made sure we grew up around people of all ages. So from the time I was a baby, I was around uh, not only my maternal grandparents a lot, 
but also um, the friends of my parents and they had friends who were quite a bit older than them. So it was felt quite normal to be around people who were 80 even when I was two. Mm. Um, we uh, were lucky to have a babysitter. My parents were working. We had a, a babysitter who looked after us after school and she was in her 60s and 70s when she was looking after us and that was just normal. So I'm, I think in all of our lives, we have a range of people we meet, people we go, grow close to. Age is never the determinant. I have friends who are quite a few years older than me and decades younger than me. And it's always been a common interest or uh, personalities mesh, usually a common interest actually, which brings us together, which is partly why that's at the heart of my books. Mm. I met my best friend playing tennis. Um, and I met another friend who's much younger than me um, through tennis as well. And um, another friend for me through music. So I think if we open our minds about who can be in our lives and also if we, it's a trite phrase to say open your heart, but I think that's partly it. If we don't block ourselves off from the people who are out there, there are some really interesting, wonderful people in the world. Most mm. people I think are interesting and wonderful mm. and uh, a lot of them want to be your friend. Mm, no, I agree. We, um, my family, and I've often talked about this on this podcast, my family immigrated um, my parents, we were all very young. I was born here, but there was a bit of um, coming and going. But anyway, what we didn't have is old people around us right? because we were here and all my mother and father's brothers and sisters and parents were still back in Lebanon. And I remember when I first met my grandmother when she came to Sydney and I couldn't believe her skin, that the skin was aged. And it's such a vivid memory of I wanted to touch her and feel her and smell her. And because she, to me, she looked so old and she wasn't, she was probably in her seventies, <laughs> but you know, when you're little, you just yeah. think that. And then when she started talking and I couldn't believe how, that she was a normal person. So it took a long time for us. And I think that that's a common experience for people who immigrate. Yeah. You know, and that's why community is so important because, you know, hopefully you get to meet people of all ages in your community. But I do remember that as a very vivid memory. I want to go back to, you know, this is what I didn't know is how many things you do. So <laughs> you were a bookseller, you have yes. a law degree, you're a qualified yoga teacher, which is which we've touched on, and you work full-time in a publishing house. Is I that do. right? Did I it get is. that right? Yes. <laughs> uh, yes, I've been practising yoga since 1993, which is the year this new novel is set, and I've been teaching since 2002. And I it was actually, I had no plans to teach, but the teacher I had at the time, who I had for over 20 years, just started saying, it's time for you to start teaching. It's time for you to start teaching. And I actually did a diploma of remedial massage first um, to get the anatomy of right. the body um, because you don't learn that. Well, at the time there were very few yoga courses, yoga teacher training, and uh, she knew I wasn't going to learn anatomy. So I did that as well. And I've always been grateful to have that. Um, but yeah, law, I completed my degree, but decided um, it was not really the career for me. So, okay, let's go right back. So talk to me about growing up and did you have a love of reading and writing or did... Absolutely. And I had parents who encouraged it. Um, my mother taught me to read before I started school. Um, I think probably because I, so I could stop badgering her to read to me. Um, but my, both of my parents are voracious, eclectic readers. So books were always around. When I was a child, they did not censor my reading matter. So if it was on the shelves at home, I was allowed to read it because they figured out that if something was too racy or whatever, it would go right over my head. That didn't stop me plucking off the thornbirds when I was eight and having a go at that. 
left an indelible impression. And yes, things did go over my head. Yeah, yeah. I think that happens. Kids kind of, kind of digest what they can, and and you know, if they can't make sense of it, oh, you know, it just goes exactly. Out to the ether. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or they ask questions, and then the parents yeah. can handle the questions. So, so I was very, very lucky. Yes, to be surrounded by a love of reading within my home, and. I mean, when I was in high school in particular, I was just reflecting the other day, I had two teachers who were both history teachers, coincidentally, or maybe not, who still directly influence what I do today as a writer because they were such good storytellers. Mm. Uh, And so that oral storytelling, I I think I probably got more through school. Mm. And do you think that that was nurtured? Like, do you think that there was a lot of like through schooling and I guess through your family it was, that your reading and writing was nurtured, that it was seen as a valid occupation? Oh, look, I didn't do any writing um, until relatively recently. I mean, I wrote, I certainly oh, okay. wrote, wrote things for school, um, but I had no thoughts of being a writer at all until about 10 years ago. Um, so, the, but reading, absolutely. There were always books available. I was often at the library um, in the schools I went to, I think the libraries were were just there and we were able to borrow and I certainly don't remember any teachers obstructing that. But I do think the most influential thing for me as a reader was the fact that my parents just let me go at it and let me make decisions for myself as a reader, which then meant that I didn't have fixed ideas about what I was meant to be reading as I grew up and started to make choices. And I did read things in my early teens that were probably meant for older readers, but again, you take in what you can. And why did you think you wanted to do law? Look, I, I, the, I think when I left school, I thought, what, what should I do with myself? Mm-hmm. And I got the marks for it. And look, I, I've never regretted doing that degree because it also is a lot about storytelling. Mm-hmm. And by the time I it got to a point where I could choose. It's all a, fiction. <laughs> by the time I got to a point I'm where joking. I could <laughs> choose electives, um, I did a lot of criminal law. And, that, and I look back wow. now and think, well, that's because it's, there are a lot of stories in criminal law. I'm sure that's why I was interested in it. I was also, it surprised me, I was really interested in real property, which um, but that's also got a lot of stories about people who are attached to the property. So, And uh, families. And families, yeah. And so that interested me a lot. And it taught me to think critically. And I remember in first year we had a lecturer who said that we we're effectively going to be brainwashed to do the degree and that if we, if we didn't practice, it would take a long time for us to deprogram, essentially. I, I can't remember her exact words. But it, it took me at least a decade to deprogram after mm-hmm. I finished that degree to start thinking in a, in a different way. But I, but I did learn to think, as I said, critically, to think in a linear fashion, to problem solve. There are a whole lot of really interesting things doing law that I still use today. So I, I, so I didn't practice, but I don't regret it. So you didn't practice at all? No. Uh, I actually applied for, I've told this story before, but I applied for a legal job at um, a, a publishing company and I had uh, an hour-long interview and at the end the person who interviewed me said that, uh, she said, I am a Gemini and I can't work with an Aries. My oh. mother is an Aries and we don't get along. <laughs> <laughs> And I thought, oh, well, you've had me here for an hour. Uh, She got me back for another hour interview and I thought, what is the point? Gave the job to a Pisces, but I was offered a job as an editorial assistant instead and that really did set my path um, to what I'm doing now. And years later that person said to me, she said, I'm so sorry that I did that to you, but I had two of you who were qualified and I just didn't know how to choose. 
And it, oh but God. it turned out for the best. She actually did choose the best person for the job. Isn't that funny wasn't. how these little decisions change the course of your life? Yeah. And and almost, this is almost a crazy decision, right? Yeah, but it was, she was right. The other person was the best person for the job and I was more suited to editorial, particularly because I hadn't enjoyed doing contracts during my degree. Did you know what being an editorial assistant was at the time? Well, I had a vague idea because I'd actually been a bookseller for six years by that point. Right, okay. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. So throughout university, I'd spent five years working in an independent bookshop in Sydney at uh, Shearer's. In oh, Gordon. fantastic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No longer there, but such that was the best education oh, great ever yeah. um, for, for publishing and for writing, I think. Um, and then I was in Vancouver, BC in Canada for a year in a children's bookshop. Oh, wow. So, yeah. so, I had a so you had a sense of what being an editorial assistant was. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I'd read, yeah, I'd read articles about publishing yes. companies and things like that. So I had a bit of an idea. Did you want to work in publishing? Yes, I did. Yeah. That was why I applied for that job because I thought, oh, well, uh, well, I actually thought I have, I have this degree and I've worked in books for six years. I guess this is a good melding of the two. And being in a publishing company was more appealing than being in a law firm. Although I'd say the salary would have been a fifth. <laughs> well, tr- true, but um, I think uh, the stress levels you can get working as a lawyer, you probably need to pay a lot of medical professionals to help you with. So <laughs> swings and roundabouts on the expense front. Mm. So you worked as an editorial assistant and you, I guess you worked your way up. At what point, did, so you were reading other people's work? Mm. And making an assessment over that. For, for those of us, like there's lots of listeners out there, people might not know what an editorial assistant does. So talk to me about that. Well, in that case, I was actually doing correspondence um, for the people, the publishers I was working for. I was learning how being an editor, like learning what, what it was to be an editor from the editor I was working with. I was also reading the proverbial slush pile. So it's, it's, it's an odds, odds and sods job. Hmm. Uh, but mainly you're getting exposed to all the processes of being an editor and how books are put together. And I'm very fond of saying that that those of us in local publishing are the manufacturing division. And I think there's a lot to learn about literally how books are physically put together hmm. um, that you can you get at that, that early stage, which is a great opportunity and time to absorb all that I mean, I've often thought that they're like apprenticeships, aren't they? Yeah, they are. You um, are learning the skills of the trade. Absolutely. And it is it is a trade. And as I said, the, you know, the, we're mm. manufacturing books. We manufacture these physical artefacts from absolutely nothing, often just from an idea, which is constantly amazing to me. Mm. I think it's wonderful. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. People often ask me what the difference between, you know, self-publishing is and being published by a publisher. And for me as a reader, it is exactly that. It's the manufacturing. It's how the process of publishing makes a book what it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, they often, I mean, I think almost 100% of the time they read better, obviously, because you have all that skill and expertise that help you develop that product, if you like, to what it is. Yeah, and I look at, at the people I work with in my day job in publishing and where there are so many talented, passionate people who never lose their love for books. And so when we're publishing a book and it's going through that process, everyone who touches it is in love with the process and wants that book to be the best it can be. And it's a real privilege to work in an environment like that with people who feel that way about what they do. Mm, I agree. Do you know, this is probably the bleeding obvious and I've only just had this thought, it seems to me that a lot of people that work in books, whether it's publishing, whether it's a bookseller, whether it's a book buyer, whether it's a market or whatever, there does seem to be a passion and an addiction. Oh, absolutely. Isn't there? <laughs> yeah. To, you mean to the physical artifact of the book as yeah, well? Yeah, to the yeah, book. Abs- yeah, yeah, absolutely. And most people that work in publishing are really happy to be working there. Most people that work in bookstores are happy to be working there. Not everyone, yeah. but it is more of a happy place and not. I think. I, I completely agree. Um, and I think it is just the sorts of people who are attracted to working there. That's a big part of it. I like to say a lot of us used to be library monitors. You know, we were the sh- probably shyer children at school who lived in our heads. We lived in the world of stories. And then we found each other <laughs> working in either mm. a bookshop or in a publishing company. And that's really nice. Mm. I came to it so accidentally. I'd always really loved reading and I came to reading late. You know, I don't think I started, I learned to read till I was six just because, you know, we started school later because we'd come back from Lebanon. But I thought I wanted to be a teacher and I was in my second year of Prague and I was working in this centre in Erskineville and it had a bookstore upstairs, but I was down in the, the childcare centre and the woman that came to assess me said to me, I don't think you like children all that much. And I said, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be right. (laughs) That'd be right. Liking everything else, just not the kids, right? And she said, why don't you go and work upstairs in the summer holidays in the bookstore and see how you go? Right. And the rest is history. Again, there you go there, like a, a decision that's, that someone else has guided yeah. you to. Yeah, yeah, everything. yeah. Yeah, no, it's very interesting. And really I would have thought uh, my growing up, you know, when I was in primary, all I wanted to do was be a teacher. Anyway, right. there you go. Yeah. Then I noticed children. Them. Mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do that. Okay, so I think that there's, is there a similarity between being an editor, which is what you are now, and mm-hmm. a writer, and yoga? Is there a creativity around it? Uh, uh, look, there's certainly a similarity in that both involve creative processes. The way I was trained as a yoga teacher was to not teach the same class twice ever. So I had a teacher wow. who never, um, never taught the same class twice. So, so uh, there are a lot of teacher trainings where you're taught set sequences. That's not how I, as I said, not how I was trained. So I always come up with a new sequence and I will, and the woo-woo part of it is that I will look at the weather and where the moon is and where the solstices are and what season we're in and 
and then I'll make my decision based on that. And that is, and it is a creative process, not unlike when I come up with a story for the first time. Um, in the, I will sit quietly and think, okay, what do I need to put in this class? And then the sequence will emerge from that. And that's, as I said, not unlike how I come up with a story the first time. Mm. So I think it's probably more similar to writing than it is to, to being an editor, which is the rhythm of editing is quite different. So there's a certain rhythm and flow to writing like there is to putting a class together and actually teaching that class where, where I think teaching yoga has helped me enormously with writing is that going into that class with a, a new sequence every time, I also know to never expect that it will run the way I think. Mm. So I have to be able to adapt and change for whomever is in the class, what's going on with them, what I see happening in their bodies, um, all sorts of things can go on and I and it's essentially holding that space for however long and it's a bit like a tightrope walk because I could fall off at any time uh, and I've got to pull all these elements together and and create something wonderful for the students and writing feels like that. I, I plan, 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 plan rigorously but I also know that nothing will ever go <laughs> strictly according to plan so, but I, and I'm always open to that change. So if I think I'm writing this particular chapter tonight and this is going to happen in that chapter tonight I'll start writing it invariably something comes out that's different and then I'll spend the next session that I was going to dedicate to writing to reorganizing that plan Um, but I think if I hadn't had the practice in being open to change through teaching then maybe I'd be more rigid with the writing. There are so many editors and publishers right and they're so highly skilled. I mean, I, you know, I worked in a publishing house, as you know, for a little while and just couldn't believe the miracles, the before and after, right? I say that to my hairdresser as well. (laughs) It's always a miracle after I leave here. But not all of them become writers. Many of them don't. True. (laughs) um, Do you want me to talk about why I became a writer? (laughs) Yeah, I just want to talk about that because the sense that I get is they're perfectionists. Um, there could be. I mean, I think it's, I actually, I, I spent many, many years never thinking I'd ever write anything. Um, yeah. So I was one of those editors and thinking, no, I will never, I'll never do that. Um, because, you know, I'm the same and I'm not a writer, but because I think, tell me if you thought the same thing, you're never going to do that because here you are spending your days trying to mould and work on a manuscript and a story and you think, I'm putting <laughs> thoughts in your head because it's probably what I think, is that if you were going to do it, it has to be better than that. Do you think there's an element of that? Quite possibly. For me it was more that I just thought I had nothing to write about. <laughs> so, so it was um, more the story for you rather than the yeah. technique. Yeah, so it it wasn't. Yeah, I don't remember thinking, oh, I can't do it like this. Although, although I probably did, I just can't remember that I thought yeah. that. Yeah, so I've been doing this for a while now, but um, certainly it was just I thought, oh, I have no stories to write. Yeah, I have no stories in me whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, at what point did you decide that you had a story? Um, the start of the process of me writing happened um, almost exactly 10 years ago um, and I was very, very sick and, and I went to North Shore Hospital. I went into emergency. I went into intensive care. Oh, um, I was... I um, did not know that. I was, yeah. yeah, I'm alive because of Royal North Shore Hospital and wow. uh, and also I think partly because of my yoga practice but um, that's a different conversation. So after that, that was a very long recovery. I 
could not teach yoga. There was phys- I could not practice yoga for months. So my creative practice as a teacher was instantly gone. My the classes I had spent years building were gone. I could do the job I had at the time. After a few weeks, I could do that remotely. So I, I went back to doing that. But it was it was falling into a massive vacuum and. Mm. Um, nature abhors a vacuum. So what came along was, um, well, I, I remember sitting there thinking, well, I, I have to, I, I need a, I need to do something. Uh, I, I've got my work, but I need to do something else. I'd had, I'd been teaching for so many years and um, I felt that creative itch I needed to scratch. I had started a, a blog about Australian country music a few years before, but done nothing much with it. I'd started that because I was in a country music band and um, we mm. played at Tam. The Tam- You're a person that doesn't do very much, right? <laughs> <laughs> I like to take opportunities when they come is right. how that goes. So and I'd seen the, the, the incredible depth of talent in our Australian country music industry, so I thought I'd write about it but hadn't done much. So the blog was sitting there and I was sitting around uh, heading into the end of 2011 thinking, what will I do? And I actually thought years before when I when I was in Canada, I'd actually volunteered at a local radio station and I'd done some interviews for their street press magazine. So I thought, all right, I want to I want to interview um, artists. I want to write about music. So I actually just researched publicists who are working on country music artists, sent off some emails and then just started to to get some interviews to do. And I thought, oh, if I get sent some CDs, that'd be amazing. So started reviewing. Ten years later, that blog is still going, and now I don't go looking for anything. It all comes to me, and I post several times a week. But what I realised at a certain point in time was that that was writing practice, and I was writing to an audience. I knew they were out there because it was a website, and I could see stats, and I also was getting feedback from artists. So that training in writing to an audience and trying to shape something and very succinctly because it's a blog post, not a novel. And also trying to describe something which is quite hard to describe, which is the experience of listening to music. That was the perfect practice essentially to to do what I'm doing now with fiction. I, well, I think. Also the discipline of having to do it. Mm. So just sitting down, it's like some days I think, oh, I don't really want to write about that song or that album. I think, oh, well, I told the publicist I would. <laughs> so, um, so I did it. And I think out of that, at a certain point in time, I thought maybe, maybe this fiction thing can, can work. I mean, in fact, no, I, I didn't really think that. Someone challenged me. That's right. It's all coming back to me now. Someone challenged me to write um, a novel and I, and I did and then I kept going and I won't go into all the details of everything I wrote, but here we are. Hmm. Several books down the line. And so the story, because there is a similarity in the stories and what you write about in the titles, um, and, you know, it's definitely a genre preference, right? Mm. So that initial first book that, that you wrote, did you think that you would be writing follow-ons to that? No, in, no, no. no. I, I thought if, if one worked, that would be amazing. And it did work. <laughs> I just... Um, no, I had, I did not think beyond that, um, right. honestly. And then of course, once, once that's out and there's, there are readers there, um, to turn around and write a crime novel wouldn't have made any sense, for no. example, or to pick some other kind of writing. So I love writing about women of all ages and I'm happy that readers have let me continue. They certainly have. They, they do love you. Okay, I you know, we've run out of time, but oh. I, just, I know, doesn't time go so quickly? Just tell us a little bit about your new book. 
Okay, so Thursdays at Orange Blossom House is set in um, Cairns in, starting in 1993. There are three main characters. There is Grace Maud, who's in her 70s. There is Dorothy, who's in her 30s, and Patricia, who's in her 40s. They're all at different stages of their life and somewhat blocked with thing, with blocked in understanding themselves and actually getting to things they think they want. They have various responsibilities uh, or they did have responsibilities in Grace Maud's case and uh, she was running a farm. Um, she is an identical twin but her twin has died before the story starts and uh, her name uh, was insistently Grace Maud. I tried to make her something else but she I tried to make her Grace. It didn't work. She's Grace Maud. Um, so they do form a friendship of sorts but it's not a... It's not the Shelley Bay kind of friendship where they're, they're all hanging out together all the time. I think it is the sort of friendship that you form when you're uh, undertaking a painful activity like yoga is, and I do have a line about that in there, which is that it's a commonality of experience and understanding that gives you a shorthand with each other, mm. essentially, and that's what they have with each other. So um, each of them has their own things going on in their life, which means that they're not going to be best buds hanging out all the time but they can offer each other some solace and some motivation and help from time to time. Yeah, it's beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Sophie, for your Thank time. you, Cheryl. It's been wonderful chatting <laughs> and I've certainly learned a lot more about you. Um, <laughs> congratulations on the new book. Thank you very much. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere. Or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app Join your local public library and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of ebooks and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.